Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Naked Mindset. I'm your host, Janae Ledger. This is episode number 131. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I so appreciate it. Please be sure to like, rate, review, all of the things. I so appreciate it. Um, Happy November. Holy shit. It's already November. This is so crazy. I hope you guys have been loving the episode so far. I feel like I've had so many incredible guests on lately. And I, you know, I have another one for you today. So let me introduce you to our guest today. She is a research psychologist in AASECT, a SACT board certified educator, TEDx speaker, sex and relationship coach, and holding a doctorate in in-depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Jolie Hamilton to the podcast. All right, everyone. I have Jolie here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Janae. I'm very, very excited. We're going to talk about some juicy things, but first, I would love to know what are you most excited about that's coming up in your life? Oh, I'm heading to Costa Rica really soon to co-host a retreat for people who are transitioning from monogamy to non-monogamy or who are contemplating that maybe. So, I mean, I'm going to Costa Rica. How do you not love that? (laughs) I mean, that's amazing. That's on my bucket list to go. Yeah, it's everybody says it's amazing. So heading there. I love that. I love that so much. So you have like such an impressive background absolutely like blew my mind at all the things you you've done that you're doing I just love like when someone can just be so passionate about something and obviously you are very passionate about all things you know psychology sex relationships all the things so obviously we're going to get into some non-monogamy but I would love to know did you grow up in a sex positive environment kind of walk me through a little bit of your background and kind of how you got to where you are. Yeah. So I grew up in a, in a pretty, uh, in a very verbally abusive um, and fairly impoverished household um, with parents who were really trying to do their best, but definitely like did not have the tools they needed. Um, but the one thing that they did really well was they never shamed us about sex. Not ever. Um, so they had their hangups and, and some weird stuff, but they treated sex like a normal thing that just happened in a, in a house. They're like, there are grownups who live here. Yes, they have sex. Um, yeah, like they, so it's not so much that it felt like it was sex positive the way we think about it today, where I would have been receiving, you know, age appropriate conversations and every phase and all of that. I mean, that would have been great. Um, instead I had a mom and dad who were not afraid to express the fact that they enjoyed sex and then it was normal and they didn't shame myself or my brother for it. And mm. for that, I, and as they grew older, they weren't afraid to talk to me about it. So my parents are both gone. So was my brother. Um, but my parents gave me a lot of leeway to talk about how it was to grow up in their house. And to grow up with them. And so as my father in particular aged, um, yeah, he would talk about like what it was like to be an aging male bodied human uh, living in a life without um, a sexual partner because my mother had passed first. And like, I don't know, like there's nothing will replace that for just busting open your ideas of how sex should work and how conversation should work. Like, oh, 
anything is possible. So when I decided to make sexuality like and relationships the center of my world, um, I always look back to that and think, oh, the seeds were planted when that was the one thing that they kept in the, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. It's going to be okay. Wow. That's powerful. That is really powerful. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's, Mm. it's, it's hard because I think a lot of people grow up being shamed and being like, if you have sex, you will die or get pregnant or get an STI. It's like, it's so common and it's unfortunate. Like the sex ed, I mean, I've definitely talked about this on the podcast so many times, but the sex ed was just trash, straight yeah, trash. Should we even call it that? Like, it, like it's, it's true. Like, yeah. Like there aren't air quotes big enough to put around the sex ed I received in Literally. school or even for my parents because bottom line, they didn't have it to give me. So what they did was sort of left me to my own devices and didn't shame me. But then I was having to go dig up information. And mm. I, it's, that is so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. It is better now. I have seven kids and I, it's very different now mm. in part because they have the internet, they have Google, they can ask questions of that. Um, but also there are just resources. I mean, we didn't have even, even just 15 years ago, when my my oldest kids were little and I was no, the resources are so different now. Now I have a whole shelf of books I can hand to my kids who are like questioning their gender or figuring out what kind of sexual acts they might want to participate in or not, and figuring out what STI protections they might want or not. And oh, what I would have given for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think the same thing. And it's like, yeah, I've I definitely just I don't know. I just think about this stuff all the time and I'm like I think us just talking about this is we're making an impact, right? I mean, I think it's so important that we're having these conversations, especially as women, like we should feel empowered to talk about these crazy topics that shouldn't be crazy, like right. <laughs> stigmatizing and, and just breaking down that shame. Cause I think it's really deeply rooted and, you know, one of the topics that I think needs to be talked about more and um I'll I'll definitely put this in the intro but you know I have talked about non-monogamy in some of the past episodes and I am so excited to talk all about it with you as well to get kind of some of your background your history um your your input because I think this is such an interesting topic I think people I think it's becoming more socially acceptable is that a fair statement it is. In fact, we have some research data that says that, you know, uh, and this is uh, this data is a little bit old at this point. Now, a few years ago, they ran a uh, U.gov survey that showed about 33, 34 percent of millennials um, were open to or thought that a an open relationship might be the right style for them. That didn't mean they were in them, but that they were willing to consider them. That is an impressive number of people who were already well into their like settling down years, as it were, you know, they're not children, they're grown adults. Um, And, and that's just a few years ago. And already I have seen the conversations change. When I started talking about my own non-monogamy publicly, I stood on a TEDx stage and outed myself in 2019. And I had been out in my local world. Like everybody who knew me knew that I was non-monogamous for very many, many years. But uh-huh. there was this moment of like, oh, I'm going to stand on a stage and say this. I can't take it back. Like this will just be out there. And 
the difference between the reception then in 2019 and even just now in 23 is it's a lot. It's, it is really a lot. People's response now is, oh yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And a lot of people are understanding too, that it's not one thing. It is, there are as many ways to be non-monogamous as there are people practicing non-monogamy, just right. like there's no one thing. acting their relational pattern. And if we get specific like that, it's really easy to see how we need to have conversations about this and share our stories mm. because that's how we start to figure out what might actually suit us, what the what the right, right fit is for me. Um, and maybe it's not strictly one or the other even. Maybe it's some unique blend that's just right for you. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think, yeah, it's like, what works for you might not work for someone else, but that's the beauty of it. I think too, like, like you just said, no one size fits all. And it's like, that's, that's just unique in its own self. So I would love to start with maybe some of your um, experiences and then we'll kind of get into some of the other questions. Um, so I guess, how did you and your partner kind of decide and, and maybe talk about like how the starting point was to, transitioning into non-monogamy? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times people assume that everyone is transitioning from a dyad into non-monogamy, right? But let's remember that a lot of people are single and thinking about like, well, what if this is just the style I want to be practicing, the relational style I want to be practicing? So that's, that's a thing too. And also some people have been practicing non-monogamy in lots of ways that are less ethical, less consensual, right? We have this thing called cheating. So lots of people are non-monogamous and not maybe above board with it. And then there's a whole bunch of people who are practicing non-monogamy, but don't really have words for it or language. I fall into the category of people who, once I learned the word polyamory, the this frisky conglomeration of Greek and Latin that means many loves, um, I turned, looked back over my life and I was like, oh, that's been me the whole time. Now, I was able to behave monogamously most of my life. I had one little dip into cheating when I was 19 years old, um, a little special fling there that I don't I don't think was a good idea. But on the whole, um, I, I got engaged when I was 17. I got married when I was 20. And I was married to a person who I was faithful to. And then I learned this word and turned back and looked at my life. And I was like, oh, I've, I've fallen in love with many people over and over and over again. I, I'm queer and I would fall in love with women in, in particular who I would grow close relationships with all the time, but I didn't have the language. So I never told anyone, oh, I'm polyamorous. I may be choosing to practice monogamy, but I am polyamorous by nature. And so for me, just having the language shifted how I viewed myself. For other people, they come at non-monogamy because they they realize that what they've been sold, like the bill of goods they were sold for monogamy just doesn't fit. And they just keep cheating. And they're like, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to learn a different way to do relationships. I think of those people as the, like they're philosophically aligning themselves with a way to be honest about how they're going to behave in their relationships. And then there are people who are ambiamorous and they're like, well, I could go either way. So maybe it depends on what's happening in the con overall context of their life or who they want to be partnered with. That might be how they figure out um, what relationship style to be in. But I was married. Like I said, <laughs> I was very married. I had four children. Um, and then I fell for somebody 
And it was just like every other time I'd fallen for somebody, I was like, oh, I have the hugest crush. I'm like all Twitter pated. And I naively hopped in the shower with my husband and told him. And this time, though, this had happened many, many other times, and he found it sexy and appealing. This time was different because this time the person I had a crush on had a penis. Okay. And this did not land well. No, I didn't know that because... I genuinely am one of those people who is like, um, I don't know. I'm attracted to people. I don't, gender isn't the thing for me, um, when it comes to attraction, but it really, really, really impacted my husband. And I say this because I chose what I think of as the worst way to announce that you might want non-monogamy because I had this conversation with all naivete that this crush was like no big deal. But when it caused the decompensation of my partner, I didn't know what to do. And I kept having these conversations like, well, this is fine. Like we can just explore and don't worry about it. It'll be the same as it has been. And I don't recommend going into this without learning some language Mm. and without preparing yourself for the fact that your partner might not be on the same page as you are. And that might have to be okay. You might have to make a decision. Because not everybody wants non-monogamy and that's okay. And not everybody wants monogamy and that's okay too. And this is where my story unfolds very quickly into a divorce. Um, My partner at the time was like, oh, no, no, this is not for me. He tried for about 45 days and he was like, nope, I'm done. You know, that rests on a foundation of us having been not a good man. Match. Like I said earlier, we got engaged when we were 17. That doesn't happen for no reason. Um, it happened for us because we were both trying to escape households that did not fit us very well. Mm. And so I left, but having realized, oh my gosh, there's this word. So in the intervening time, in those 45 days, I find out that there's this whole thing. Maybe I don't have to choose. Maybe I can be crushing on someone and married. Maybe I can be in multiple relationships. And once I knew that, I didn't, I couldn't unknow it and I didn't want to unknow it. So I embarked on a very uh, circuitous path to wind up very happily married again, um, but non-monogamous for the last 15 years and thrilled about it, loving loving that, loving that life because it fits my soul's code. Like it just fits me best. Um, yeah, it's messy sometimes, but it's also honest. Yeah. <laughs> like monogamy wasn't the right fit for me, so. Yeah, and I think- I think it's amazing that you realized that and said, Hey, you know what? I don't think that this is right for me. And you kind of, I'm sure you like figured out things and did, did new things, tried out new things, experimented. And you were like, Oh, okay. Well maybe this new thing that I just kind of embarked on is the right thing for me. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's, that's so powerful and it's intriguing because I think I'm sure there's so many people out there that probably feel a very similar way to how you felt and just like, oh, like there, I think the curiosity factor is something that people go through and they're kind of like, well, how do I express this to my partner? Or how do I find this? Or how do I X, Y, Z? So I think my next question would be like, when, because you are married right now. So how did you, did you find your partner and say, 
and like they were already kind of in the realm of non-monogamy and then it kind of just worked out that way so i'm gonna i'm gonna say the fact the one that makes no sense at all but is just true and is out there about me that i am actually married to that guy i had a crush on I, yeah, I know it makes no sense. And I, I've known him my entire life, literally like he knew my mother when I was in her uterus. So this is a very weird story. Okay. I love it. (laughs) But what happened was, um, it turns out I had a crush. I being monogamous, I went to his partner and I was like, I have a crush. And, um, I, the only thing I can think of to do is be honest about it. And she was like, oh, that's cool. Um, we're open. So whatever. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. Wait, I was not okay. I thought I was going to be having like lots of very deep friendship conversations about how I can like manage this. And instead, I was invited into a whole new world of like, oh, what if you don't choose? What if instead you explore and experiment and figure out what comes next? Now, Mm. oh, I wish, I wish, I wish it were happening now. If this is you, if right now you're like, I'm curious, I want to do this, but I don't know how, let me just say you are in a golden age of information about alternative relationship structures, about creating and designing what fits for you. Because in 2009, oh my goodness. Oh, slim pickings. 2008, 2009, 2010, Jolie is looking at her bookshelf going, there is nothing here to support me. I had the ethical second edition um, but it wasn't enough. It mm. it wasn't enough. So I think a lot of people do get hung up on the idea that they like that they have to f- get their partner on board. And right. I, I actually I have a, a a conversation. If you go to Jolie Hamilton forward slash easy, you'll you'll find a conversation that I recorded that you can play for your partner that is designed to help you have this conversation in a generative way, not in a 2 a.m. in the in the shower way, because I don't recommend that. But really, we don't know what will happen when we bring it up. Right, right. But we are trying to bring our whole self and show our whole self to our partner. Mm. And that sometimes means that relationships change irrevocably. Sometimes we find that who we are and who they are, who we knew ourselves to be, they they don't align. And mm. that might be because we like in my case, I didn't I didn't know the language to explain this, even though I had told my partner for the whole 17 years he had known me, I had told him over and over and over again about how I'd fall in love with people, how I wanted to have sex with them, how like mm. but he didn't hear it right. until he felt the threat, right? And Sometimes people just don't even know. It never even occurs to them until one day it does. Right. It can be incredibly painful to try to keep that a secret. But at the same time, having the conversation becomes intimidating. And I find a lot of people try to like figure out everything first. Like I'll learn all about non-monogamy first Mm. and then I'll go to my partner and I'll have it all figured out. And from there we'll go forward. I want to just caution anybody who's taking that route right now and say, The sooner you start having a conversation, the more you'll be on the same page with the person you care about so much, right? You care about this person and all the time you're spending educating yourself, investigating, they don't, they don't know that part of you. You have started branching off from them and you're also getting your imagination. You're expanding your imagination and they, they don't know. And so for every month you're doing that, remember, they're going to need that time too. 
And mm-hmm. they may feel that you left them out of something and they may be very confused about why you did. Right. So I would encourage people to bring this up early and it, as early in the process as they can. And also to do it in a way that makes it about an exploration, not about a, you have to do this <laughs> or right. right that like an ultimatum that is, I am going to do this. I'm going to have this relationship structure and this isn't a conversation. This is just what I'm doing. That's not consenting. That's not getting consensual collaboration. On the flip side, being in that space of like creating a relationship with someone, a new relationship with new parameters, new ideas, new ways of being, Mm. that is a, that is a, that is a very long conversation you are about to embark on, like a multi-years, multi-decades conversation. And it can be delicious, but if you think it's supposed to just happen overnight, you're going to be disappointed. There's a lot to learn. Monogamy has a tendency to be sort of default. Like we we think there's just a default thing we can pick up. Non-monogamy, not going to give you that. Nope. There is no such thing. You're going to have to create the whole thing. And P.S. I would recommend anybody do that for monogamy as well. Absolutely. Boundaries and and kind of setting some parameters, I assume, of like, okay, well, we, I would feel comfortable with this, but, you know, I'm not so comfortable with that. And like, from what I hear is like overly communicating every single step. You know, if you go on a date with someone, if you have a sexual interaction with someone, like obviously just communicate it is kind of what I've been, I've talked about on this podcast with folks who um, experiment in this and having a really strong foundation um so yeah I think I think my my next question would be like what I want to know about like one of your favorite experiences or like something really Mm. positive to share that you've experienced um you know through your through your Mm. experiments I guess you could say yeah so I I do think of um relationship design as experimental like I I And I use that language on my own podcast quite a lot about we're experimenting. And I want to be cautious because the people who I date, who I sleep with, who I um, have sensual experiments with, like they aren't experiments. They're whole people. And it's easy for people to stay in a space where they are like, let's prioritize our couplehood over everything else. But Mm. the people that you're interacting with, they're real people. They're whole real people. And and treating them as though they are props in your experience is dangerous ground. And I mean, currently, that that I'm actually in a situation right now where I'm like, oh, I'm seeing somebody and I can feel how I am a prop in their experience. And I'm just now setting the boundaries around that and saying, oh, mm-hmm. so, yep, I understand you're prioritizing your couplehood. I get that. Um, and... Um, I'm not available to just be picked up and put down Mm-mm. at your leisure, right? right so right. yes, communication about everything. And um, there is a level of agency that we are returning to each other, right? Agency that we we decided to not um, grant each other, right? Like we often just think that we get to decide what our partners do with their body, their emotions, their time, The process of shifting from a monogamous paradigm to a non-monogamous one is really a process of of unpacking all of that and saying, what if my partner 
has agency and autonomy? What if my safety comes from my sense of stability and security comes from having conversations with them and building a life we both love and isn't about what they can't do or shouldn't do or what they owe me so much as it is about us being in this nuanced conversation over time. It's a little bit like the difference between um, the stability of standing on flat ground and the stability of like riding a balance board or a surfboard. And you're like, oh, I can feel very balanced up here, but it is dynamic and it is changeable. Mm-hmm. And I got to stay alive. I got to stay with it. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't just pretend like nothing's ever going to change. Right. So, you got to be in it for the relating, right? If you're just going to be, if you think you're just going to like switch, like switch from, ah, we have this kind of non-relational relationship now to we'll have that kind of non-relational relationship later. I don't recommend it. It's uh, mm. It won't work out well for you or for the people you're going to play with. But to circle back to the question you started with, one of my favorite experiences um, is actually a time when I got really hurt, like really oh. hurt. Um, yeah, I got myself into a situation that I did not intend to get myself into. I am a jealousy researcher. Like I spend all day, every day thinking about jealousy. Um, and so you think a lot of people imagine that I don't feel jealousy, but in fact, I have jealousy just like, you know, anyone might at any point. And um, my anchor partner, who I am married to and I live with and I co-parent with, um, he'd been seeing somebody new just a few times, but there was something about the way that he was talking about her mm-hmm. that just it set off my spidey senses, right? It was just something, right? And This podcast is presented by Janae Ledger Life Coaching. Are you ready to transform your life and relationships for the better? I am offering life and relationship coaching for self-discovery, growth, and healing. I'm inviting you to embark on a transformation journey. Are you tired of feeling stuck and anxious and really disconnected from your life or your relationships? If you have answered yes to any of those questions, I would love to help guide you, inspire you, and educate you towards a life filled with love, purpose, and fulfillment. If you are interested in working with me, you can visit my website or you can email me at mynakedmindsetpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to working with you. I started creating this elaborate story in my head. Now, every, my partner's telling me everything. Like he's communicating everything. He's abiding by every agreement we have, all the things. Everything's going fine. But man, I cooked myself up a juicy story. Um, that made no sense whatsoever later, you know, now I am a few years later, it makes no sense. And I'm, I basically was self-injuring with this story. And the reason why it is my favorite is because literally nothing I made up in my head was true. Nothing. I, I just invented it. And it is one of my favorite lessons about jealousy, which is that, so jealousy is about a triangle. It's about myself, my beloved, and my perceived interrupter. So I took this this person who I knew he was dating and I imagined that she was an interrupter. Um, And then I imagined a whole fantasy other parallel universe in which she's interrupting and made a whole disaster for myself. And it was the moment when I realized that we don't need 
a real person. <laughs> we do not need to have a real person to experience very real jealousy, to experience the pain, the gnawing sensations, the my body was in shakes and I had the stomach knots and all the things because the story I was telling myself was tragic. It was just so tragic. It was about self comparison and loss and insecurity and fear and all the things. And I resolved it by being really honest with my partner and sitting with him and asking him to just bear witness to my feelings and let me share this story that I had. And he sat and he sat cross-legged on our bed and listened to me share, pour this story out at one o'clock in the morning. Again, me in the middle of the night, go to bed, Jolie. This is not when good things are happening, but I pour this story out and he just witnesses and he holds me while I'm crying and he watches me pound a pillow for a while because I'm processing my emotions and I'm rage releasing and I'm stomping a little. And, and I couldn't get the emotion to move enough. I was just stuck. And I, he's reassuring me that like, I hear, you know, that he's hearing me. And I finally realized that the missing ingredient for me here was that I was also very turned on by the story I was telling. Very turned on. Now, any search of porn will turn up that jealousy is a thing for us humans. We like stories where somebody's snooping or peeping or somebody's cheating or somebody's getting caught. Or We love that shit. Right, right. right. <laughs> so I had made my own pornographic fantasy, but I had self-inserted myself into this fanfic about my partner and I wasn't letting myself enjoy it. I was just flagellating with it. Mm. So I did the only thing my sex educator self could think of. And I decided instead of talking about this anymore, I decided to masturbate. So oh, I did. I love this. Yeah. So I did. I had a mind blowing orgasm. I actually fell off the bed. It was amazing. I love it. And in that, like so much of the story released, because you know how when you like when you really play a fantasy all the way out in your mind and you allow yourself to come to completion, like mm. I recognized in that moment as I was like coming down out of the orgasm, I was like, oh, that was my story. That was my fantasy. Oh, here I am. And I regrounded. I regrounded my nervous system. I started looking around like, OK, I see the bookshelf. I see my bed. I see my comforter. Oh, I hear, I smell, I see, and I got grounded. And the jealousy was almost entirely gone and it stayed gone. I mean, I ha I still had some pangs of like, oh, you know, feeling things now, yeah. but I processed it by allowing myself to be really honest about what was going on. And my partner, bless him. Uh, I <laughs> just stayed with it. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to make it go away. He didn't try to control it. He didn't say, I'll stop. I'll do something else because you feel so bad. He just stayed with my emotional content and let me process it. And then congratulated me on the hard work that I had done later. He was like, that was really hard. Look what you did. Yeah. And then we moved on with our damn lives. And it was great. <laughs> wow. That's a powerful, powerful story. I mean, it's amazing what our minds can do too. Like you had this story in your head and then you kind of like, I mean, I love that you kind of masturbated and you were like, all right, this is, this is kind of my little fantasy that I have going on. And I think, I think sometimes jealousy is a tough one. I think, I mean, I feel like, do you think that everyone has a little bit of jealousy in them? Like everyone? Well, I, here's what I think. 
Jealousy could show up for any of us at any time because it is just a normal human emotion. And so if you haven't felt jealous yet, well, you're not dead yet. So just wait. Mm -hmm. We don't know. But also some people have a low threshold for tolerating jealousy and some people have a high threshold for tolerating jealousy. Some people experience jealousy as more like, oh, yeah. Mm." And some people are like freaking out the second there's any sign of it. Um, My... My husband happens to not really respond very much to his jealousy. He's, he's very easygoing about it. His jealousy shows up and he like watches it and he's like, hmm, that's a feeling. And he just like processes it and it moves on. And I like come unglued. So <laughs> I don't I don't want to say everybody has jealousy, but we yeah. all we're humans. So we all have the potential for feeling the full range of human emotions at any moment. Mm, that's a good way to put it. Now. If someone were to be in a non-monogamous relationship, what are some tips to help cope with navigating jealousy insecurities? Yeah. So when I was doing my doctoral research on jealousy, I the my favorite thing that came out of that was that the people who were navigating jealousy most easily or most successfully, in other words, they were not staying in the pit of suffering that I was just describing, were following the same steps. They were doing the same moves. Nobody had told them to do it. In fact, none, no one I have ever talked to has said, you know, somebody really sat me down when I was a kid and taught me how to deal with jealousy. Um, if you're a parent of a young child now, do it because that's going to pay off for the next generations. But they were following a similar set of steps. So I call it the jealousy roadmap. And if you want the jealousy roadmap, you can go to listen to jolie.com and you'll get it. Um, it's pretty simple. It's five steps. The first is you got to be able to notice your jealousy, which means p- tuning into your body sensations of jealousy. Everybody's got sensations. A lot of times we don't notice them really early. So I want you to tune in if you're not sure what your sensations of jealousy are. Imagine the last time you were jealous. Let yourself really imagine into it. Your body will give you that response right now. It's very handy that way. And then we need to be able to name it and name the fact that jealousy some for some of us brings up shame and just name it like, oh, I'm feeling jealousy. There's nothing to be ashamed about. But for a lot of people in a lot of different kinds of relationships, jealousy feels shameful. Um, so name your jealousy and then name the flavor that it is. Is your jealousy more angry, more sad, more um, grief stricken? Is it anxious and worried about something it doesn't even know what about? Um, and then once you've noticed and named it, now we can move into narrating it. So I just told a pretty juicy story, but I didn't tell you what I had built the fantasy up to be. The narrative I had built out of my jealousy, this is step three and it's really important. It's It matters what I think jealousy means about relationships, what I think my partner's behavior means about my relationship. So I needed to unpack that narrative. For me, one of the things I thought it meant is I will be disposed of. I will no longer be important. And so once I started unpacking that, I could ask for what I actually needed. And that's step four actually navigating your needs. And this is more what we think of. Most people try to rush to this step. They try to rush to, okay, let's go to couples counseling and we'll we'll hash out our needs and wants and boundaries. But if you haven't noticed and named your jealousy and you haven't unpacked your story about what jealousy means, 
you're probably not going to name your needs appropriately. You're probably going to miss some of it because you're not paying close enough attention to all the wisdom your jealousy has. So the navigating needs is a big topic, but we can think about what are the boundaries you have? What, how do you feel reassured? How do you receive love? Like, how will you know when you're loved? Do you have clear agreements and hint, most people do not have clear agreements. Um, I've spoken with just a handful of people over the course of thousands of conversations where people understood what their agreements were, how they would be enacted, how they would look in practice, and what the consequences are for how do we come back together if there's a rupture in our agreement. If something, if somebody violates this agreement, how will we repair it? And if you don't have all three of those steps, you don't have a clear agreement. So navigating needs is step four. And then there's step five. Step five is a bonus step. You don't have to do it. It's not compulsory, but um, it's nurturing compersion. Compersion is the feeling of wholehearted joy for my partner's lovely, joyful, fun um, love affairs, sensual, sexual experiences, all the fun that they have in their life. A lot of people think that they have to feel compersion if they're non-monogamous, but you don't. You just don't. And compersion, some of us feel it as an attitude. We're like, yes, I have a, I, I, I want to be happy for my partner, but we struggle to really, really feel it in our body. That's okay. You can work on that over time. And if you're working on compersion, you might want to work through um, Dr. Marie Tuin's work. Her work and mine just nest together um, mm -hmm. because I wrote the Jealousy Roadmap and she is a compersion researcher helping people nurture and foster compersion, right? So we walk through jealousy and then we try to nurture compersion by making it okay to be with our, our hard feelings and the difficulties and, and to deal with all the stuff that relationships bring to us, monogamous or non-monogamous. Relationships mm. bring messy stuff. They just do. Right. right. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love that. That is like so helpful and it like makes sense. Like I'm actually going to try out that when I have a jealous moment in my relationship. <laughs> yeah, it's really helpful. And there's a workbook um, in, in my, in the Listen to Jolie guides, um, there's a workbook for it because most of us really don't realize that jealousy is workable. We imagine yeah. that our partner needs to fix it, right? Like it Fun. feels because it's a social emotion. It feels like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm feeling jealousy. You change your behavior. Right. But it's right. so disempowering because like in my case, my partner wasn't doing anything wrong. Mm. I was having a feeling, but even if my partner had been violating agreements, I still get to start working with my feelings on my timetable. I don't have to wait for him to be around to work on it. And I don't want to be subject to waiting for anyone to work productively right. with my feelings. Mm. Wow. That's very fascinating. I'm very intrigued. Um, how would you, hmm, how do I say this? How would you determine if non-monogamous is, a good idea for a couple because I think maybe someone's like hey is this for me like obviously trying it out I assume but what is some other things that like a couple could try out to yeah. see if this dynamic would work for them yeah so one of the things is to take an, a, an honest assessment of like do you enjoy um being an active participant in your relationship like showing up for conversations, having check-ins, doing some emotional processing, managing your own damn calendar. 
Because if you're going to be dating other people, do not have your partner manage your social calendar. So there are some really baseline things that I like to have people just do a self-check on. Like there are things that we do in monogamy that we don't realize just aren't going to fly if we're going to have agency returned to us. Um, But from there, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different types of non-monogamy. For some, and I like to think of this as you can explore at the edges of what I call creative monogamy. (laughs) There's a lot of space to explore there where you're basically adhering to your monogamous commitments and you decide where you want to be expansive. So you pick your areas of exclusivity and then you're like, maybe we're going to go to strip clubs together. Um, Maybe we're going to try a swingers club or a sex club. Maybe we're going to go to a nude beach and just literally uh, just be present to that. And maybe for for you in your monogamy and your embodied experience, that feels like the edge and that's where you want to play. And I do not mean to insinuate that going to a nude beach means you're non-monogamous. It doesn't. But at the edge, at the edge of what you imagine your monogamy rules are now, at the edge of that is all the places where you might explore and experiment. And for some people, it is actually easier to to look honestly at each other and say, wow, so this has been cool, but we've grown a whole bunch and we need to renegotiate the whole thing top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And that's fine too. It's not everyone takes the tiptoe into the shallows. For some people, it really is the ripping off the bandaid of, okay, we're doing this. We're getting in and we are going to, we're going to negotiate this whole relationship as if it were fresh and new and we are be- both independent, autonomous beings. Mm. I, that's, I work with people in all of those different places. There's no right or wrong, but I, I tend to think people, people often think like, how do I go in slow? What if we just go as slow as we possibly can? Um, that's not the right choice for everybody. Mm. Hey, and you get to decide for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, not one size fits all type of situation. Um, I'm really curious what you think, like the top benefits, like as a couple, like whomever you're dating or seeing or what have you, what is like the the benefits? Because from one of the podcasts I had, um, the woman kind of said like, and I liked how she put it. She said, I like being in a non-monogamous, oh my God, I can't say that word today non-monogamous relationship because I can't expect my partner to do everything with me for me you know I like to go out and he's not really a go out type of person he's a homebody so I get to go meet other people and kind of do things with them and I don't know so I really liked that way how she put it but I would love to kind of hear your I don't know how many of her top three benefits what, what your thoughts are well I, I do think differentiation is is definitely a huge benefit. So there is an enmeshment that tends to happen for a lot of us when we pick a person and we start to, um, it's not so much that we try to have them meet all of our needs, though we might do that. It's also that we we lose track of where we stop and they start. We lose track of who's what. And sometimes we lose track of what we like and what we don't like and Um, how we want to be in the world and what our values are. We lose that. So differentiation is both necessary to non-monogamy, but also no matter what kind of relationship you're going to be in, it is hugely advantageous to do your differentiation work and understand that 
two people can grow next to each other and can be exclusive even and fully understand that they are individual humans who have chosen to be inter and intradependent. Um, so I think that the opportunities for differentiation, the opportunities to come face to face where with your places of enmeshment, I, that is a huge benefit. Um, another though, is that it is a far more flexible relationship schema, right? So we change over time. So we lived for quite a long time. I got married the first time when I was 20. If I had stayed with this person, I could be with them easily, easily for 60 years, right? God, I hope I wouldn't be the same person over 60 years. Some of us find that different relationship styles fit different times of our life, different ways that we are. And being open to non-monogamy and allowing that to be part of your dynamic allows you both to potentially grow, change, and still stay in relation to each other. Maybe that relationship changes form. Maybe it becomes something completely that nobody imagined. Um, my partner and I now, my my husband, I'm married to him, but we're mostly married for the insurance. The I call him most of the time my anchor partner because the commitment we made to each other was that we would be able to we have seven kids um, so we, that we co-parent and we we want to be able to enjoy being at weddings and, <laughs> you know, birthday parties and whatever all the way to the end. I mm. don't care whether I live with him. I don't care whether I sleep with him. No, he's really good in bed. I want to be able to sleep with him. But um, I, I want to be able to stand at a birthday party with him, whether he's with me or with another partner, whatever, and just be like, dude, look what we did. We raised these cool kids and yeah. high five him. I want to be able to high five this man when oh. we're 90 years old. So, and that matters more to me. So the flexibility matters a ton to me. And then I think the third one is that there is a level of consciousness available to us when we're being really really intentional about our relationships. So my podcast Playing with Fire is all about non-monogamy as a potential path toward your individuation. Individuation is um I I'm a Jungian psychologist, so um individuation is the process of becoming truly conscious of as much of your unconscious material as possible, right? Becoming the most authentically expressed version of you possible. And non-monogamy, it, well, it just thumbs its nose at whatever you thought, whatever your ego, your persona, whatever society told you you were supposed to be. Non-monogamy is like, what if no, what if those rules didn't exist? What if you interacted with other people? What if you felt changed by that? So I see it as a huge opportunity for individuation. And again, you don't have to be non-monogamous to individuate, nor does every non-monogamous person actively participate in their psychological individuation. But if you happen to be bent that way, please come find me. Like come, come sit. Like my part of the cafeteria is where you want to be. Like, like come hang out with me because that is my jam. Wow. That's, yeah, that's super fascinating. And I loved that. Like, I love it when you talk about like growing and like how you can, you can be in different relationships and and still grow with your partner too. Like you're, like you were saying, I liked that term to anchor partner. Um, it's, this is just like really, really fascinating. And I like too, when you said the different stages in life, because I think, I mean, let's be honest here, the, a lot of people I think get divorced because they kind of grow differently or, you know, they, they 
kind of change a lot and they're like oh my gosh like you know I'm so different and I don't have that same love that I did and obviously like there could be so many factors of divorce and I could go on a whole tangent on that but I think it's it's a huge factor in our society of just like we grew apart right I mean and it's yes or no it's like this binary state and that's where I it was very hard for me when my when my first husband was like nope this isn't for me I was Mm. incredibly sad because well even to this day so I mean I, I share four children with him and I'm like, oh, but like, uh, there are so many facets of him that I I love dearly. I would love to relate to. And if he didn't want to be in a romantic relationship with me anymore, like, so what? Like, there are so many ways to relate to each other. Um, But monogamy makes it feel like it's on or off. And that's how it was presented to us. So I, I just didn't, I never wanted that to be the way for me again, because it, I didn't shut off a switch and stop loving him on the right. day that I started having feelings for someone else. That's not what happened. Mm. What happened was, yep, I, I had a new awareness and it was absolutely going to have an impact on our life. That's true. I would I would never, ever in a million years lie to you and sugarcoat it and say like, oh, it'll everything will be the same. We'll just we'll just have we'll just add. This will only be additive. No, you legitimately will have less access to every moment of your partner's time when they have other people in their life. That's true. Yeah. It's also true if they have a hobby or friends, but right. we don't tell our partners not to have those. And if you are, um, again, see the teacher after class because that like that is problematic. Oh, 100%. And and we can we can untangle some of this stuff by really getting clear on what if I have my own needs, wants, and boundaries? What if I act in accordance with my values and I co-create a relationship that allows me to support my partner's individuation and my own and really lean into, wow, we are growing to be very different people right now. Well, damn, this is going to be interesting. I don't know what happens next, right, um, right. but but I'm here for the adventure. I'm here with a curious mind. Uh, let's see. Where does it go from here? Yeah. And I think the adventure part and yeah, like the curiosity part, I think it sounds, it sounds fun. It really does. It sounds fun. Um, I mean, it is <laughs> not going to uh, lie. It's fun. Have you ever been to a sex party? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had them here in my house. So yeah. Would you be willing to share an experience about? Oh, sure. I would love to just hear like one story because that's something that I'm very intrigued about and I've definitely talked about on the podcast and I've had people come on talking about it so I'm I'm curious what your experience was or maybe share one that'd be great so you know sex parties are they're a little bit like uh, they're like going to one type of restaurant like if you go to Italian restaurants and you're like oh have you ever been have you ever eaten Italian like okay but Sometimes you're eating pizza in Rome and sometimes you're just, you know, having dominoes Mm. at a college campus and they're not the same thing. (laughs) So sex parties are definitely not monolithic. And I think it's worth noting that even if you've been to one, the one you went to might not have been a good fit for you. I think of, you know, sex parties can be almost anything, anytime that like, that's a huge, (laughs) it's a huge. 
unprecedented experiences where adults can consensually engage in sensual and sexual activities. And everybody knows the how to not just say consensual things, but to actually mm. act in deeply consensual ways. So we're we're acting and moving. We're doing icebreakers to like get clear on, you know, what are we afraid of? So one of my favorite recent memories is sitting together with a whole bunch of people like pre pre anything happening right there's music on and we're just going around in a circle saying so what are your hopes fears and desires like what do you, like what's going on for you and somebody said that they were um feeling a little nervous because they had built up this huge fantasy in their mind that they wanted to make happen. It, ha it had to do with multiple penetrations and all that, like this big fantasy. And they were afraid that they were going to feel disappointed if it didn't happen. Oh. Right. Okay, cool. So we just like, she named this and all of a sudden, okay, it might happen. It might not. Who knows? But also other people in the room now could be like, oh, so you know what? If it is happening, let's all cheer that on because that'll be really cool for her. And yeah. other people in the room could also say like, well, I would be really interested in supporting you to make that happen. Um, yeah. There's just something so beautiful about watching and being part of adults co-creating erotic experiences. Mm. Like we, I, I mean, I know plenty of people and I work with plenty of people who can't even talk to one partner in a dark room about what they want to happen to their body. So yeah talk about pulling back the covers. Like this mm -hmm. gives you a space to do that. And, you know, some people go to sex clubs. There's actually an episode of playing with fire where I interviewed Ashley Weller about going to a sex club in LA. Now, mm -hmm. like that's a completely different story. There's, you know, hundreds right. of people and you don't know who's there. And it's just a very different thing. I happen to prefer a small gathering of people who, even if everybody doesn't know everyone else, Everyone has been vetted. Everyone knows someone. Everybody's been like, yeah, they're cool. They they follow cool. consent. Yes. Everybody shares their STI status and, and lets everybody know so that we can make arrangements, which if yeah. you have an STI, doesn't mean you can't participate. You right. know, instead of a three-way, maybe you'll have a two and a half way. There's like, yeah. there's lots of ways we can work around things. But having those conversations is honestly as good as the sex. It's like, it's so amazing to, to just, witness that. And then also you get to do cool stuff to people who you enjoy the company of. So it's just, there's, there's just no downside to it. That's amazing. And I love that. I love that experience and how you put it in, in the, the, the icebreaker. Cause I think that must give everyone, Oh, okay. This is what she wants. This is what he wants. Oh, okay. They're a little nervous about this. I think that's such a good way to kind of start it because then you kind of know, oh, okay, this is where my boundaries are at. This is what I'm wanting out of this. Right. Wonderful way. I like that and a lot. And sometimes people will say right there, they're just like, uh, like um, there was somebody at a recent party who was like, I'm not doing any penetrative. Yeah. Play. I'm just not, I'm not up for that. Body doesn't want it. Okay, cool. No problem. Um, my, my anchor partner has talked about this plenty, so he will happily allow me to share this story. But he often will say during these circles, like, hey, my penis does not always cooperate when I may be super aroused and very attracted to you and it might not cooperate. And I just want to say that now because I don't want anyone to take that personally because it is not because I'm not into you because y'all are hot and <laughs> that's not the thing. And so yeah. like, think about that, like talking to like, like dudes just talking about the fact that their cock might be soft. Right. Oh, this is the good vulnerability. Stuff. 
I this love is good that. stuff. Yeah, it's really good I stuff. Love that. Yeah, that is group amazing. sex for the win. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Um, how my last question, and then we'll get into the game. I assume, and I actually shouldn't even assume this, but I mean, there's shame in a lot of things. And I'm curious, if any, have you dealt with shame? How do people respond or how have people responded to you kind of sharing that you're in a non-monogamous relationship and advice to people who are receiving shame, kind of experimenting, trying out? Yeah. So in my in my practice, I work with people privately and in group. I have a, a whole group where people are transitioning, right? They're figuring out, they're exploring. And a lot of people are scared. They're scared to come out or even to talk about the fact that they're exploring um, because, yeah, the stigma is real. I'm not going to lie. The stigma is real. And then layered into that, we also have internalized stigma. So I call it, I usually call it internalized polyphobia. Um, I know the researcher Amy Moores has done research on it, calling it um, internalized consensual non-monogamy negativity. So there's the stigma that you might experience from the world. And then there's the stigma that you may actually be experiencing because you may not be totally cool with your own explorations yet. And you can you may have parts that are way on board and other parts that are like, fuck no, we're not doing this. So <laughs> complicated stuff. Personally, um, I would not say that I have been shamed because I reject the notion that anyone gets to shame me about this. Um, and I am a hard ass Love about it. this. <laughs> I am just like, yeah. Return to sender. Thank you very much. Not that people haven't tried. Um, I I was ostracized from my entire friend group in 2009. Completely ostracized. Oh. After finding out that most of them were swingers, but I had feelings. I fell in love. I broke the code. So wow. I have really big feelings about when people make decisions to stigmatize, to punish, to demoralize, to denigrate others because of their love style, their relationship choices, their sexuality, mm -hmm. their gender. I just think it's bullshit. It is. My personal take on it is we do have to do our internal work to feel really strong about like, this is who I am. Mm. And in some areas of the country, it may feel safer and or not safe. I, I'm in Western Massachusetts. It's pretty safe for me to be out as a queer polyamorous woman, even though I'm in a, a red city in a blue state. But still, it's it's pretty easy. And and even my more conservative friends are usually just like, yeah, we're just not, not going to pay attention to that. They don't say anything. But I work with people who are you know in deeply religiously conservative areas that feel mm -hmm. like they have to hide. On the other hand, I also have a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of um, religious folks who are in the lifestyle. They're experimenting. They're playing. So this is not about like only one kind of person is not right. monogamous. 20% right. of people have tried it at some point in their life in the U.S. 5% of people are practicing some form of CNM right now. So turn to your right, turn to your left. <laughs> you know, like they're there. It's the same number of people as who have cats or play musical instruments. Interesting. You you know people who've done this. So uh, if you're having any moments of judgment about yourself or others, you can just be like, right, right. Because we humans tend to judge things 
that bring us face to face with our shadow. Oh, Welcome love- to the work. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> that was that was that was great. Wow. Well, this conversation just blew my mind a little bit. I Yummy. loved it so much. <laughs> um, any last thoughts before we get into our game? I know I'm too excited to play the game. Oh, yay. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, okay, so this is called this or that. Very, very simple, but fun nonetheless. So the first one is are you an early riser or night owl? Night owl these days. Mm. It's weird. Um, salad or sandwich? Sandwich. I have the best sandwich shop near me. Oh, yum. Love oh, my that. God. So Love good. that. Kettle bread for the win. Yum. Uh, beach or swimming pool? Beach, but I want it cold. I want it like November in, in mm. on the Cape. I want it cold. Okay. I respect that. Uh, if you had to online shop or in-person shop for the rest of your life, which one? Online. Online. Yeah. Would you rather have eyes that film everything or ears that record everything? I almost already have the ears. Oh. Uh, I think I'd take the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could see my baby's faces so clearly, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah. I wish I could feel that and see that. And my, my, my loved ones who aren't, oh yeah, that the eyes. Love it. Would you rather have a new shirt in your closet every day or new shoes in your closet once a week? Shirt. Shirt. Yeah. Morning sex or night sex? Both, man. Both. All of it. All of it. (laughs) I'm really horny. Um, These days, very into night sex. But it's that night owl thing and it's weird. Everything changed like a couple years ago, so. Yeah, yeah that's weird. totally fair. Um, would you rather be a kid forever or be an adult forever? Oh, an adult. <laughs> You're like, no way. Oh, I, yeah. Being a kid is a hell of a lot of work. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being a child right now. No. I'm very glad that I grew up in the 90s and that was a blessing in itself. So yeah. I'm very glad about that. Um, fall or summer? Oh, fall. 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 Would you rather have an unlimited gift card to your favorite clothing store or restaurant? Ooh, restaurant. I can sew. So restaurant. Oh, I can okay. cook too, but man, I love it when other people cook for me. Yes, I agree. It always tastes better too. It's just amazing. Would you rather live in the Playboy Mansion or live in a strip club? Oh, well, Hugh's gone. So... Mm. Uh, if I don't have to put up with him, the Playboy Mansion sounds fun. Agreed. But I, I do. I mean, okay, if it could be a strip club in Portland, I might be okay. Like Portland, Oregon, like that might be okay. Okay. Like, but like, I want like the right strip club. <laughs> yes. It's going to be like a nice one. Like, you know? and like, I just with dancers who are just like super real. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. I love those. I love those dancers who are just like, they love their job and they're into. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah I love that. Right. Would you rather create a new day of the week or create a new holiday? New day of the week. Because we should. Cool. It would be very cool. Schnoz Day, like in Willy Wonka. Love that. Um, would you rather only receive oral sex for the rest of your life or only be able to use sex toys? Oh, sex toys. 
sex toys. Yeah, there's so much variety. There is. There's just a lot of variety. Oh. I mean, and there's so many out there now. It's honestly wild. Every and and they know. keep inventing them. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Sex I tech is awesome. Say, I got to say that um, the air pulse like sucker thingy yep. clips another level. It fr- is. It's a whole other thing. And they're different. Like different what? Yeah. Yes. Whole other thing. 10 out of 10 recommend. Would you rather glow pink when you're attracted to someone or glow red when someone annoys you? Pink. Pink. Love yeah, it. that would actually make it really easy. Like I I am clear I am not good at hitting on people apparently because I, I think I flirt with everyone. So then it becomes lost in the crowd. So it'd be great. I could just like, look, did I turn pink here? Right, right, right. I'm a yes. <laughs> I love that. Um. Would you rather live by the ocean or live in a cabin in the woods? Cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods. Love it. Receive flowers or like plants or receive chocolate? Oh, if it's the right chocolate, chocolate every day, all oh. day. But I want like 80, 85 or above. Oh, I love that. I'm a like, big chocolate gal. So yeah. I feel you on that. Um, and then let's see, the next one is, would you rather be able to read minds or be able to fly? Fly. Cause you know what? People are, we are freaking weird. I can already read minds pretty well. Oh, Um, okay. But people are also like, we, we think some, I don't, I don't think I actually want to know what everybody thinks of me. I don't think I need that. And I definitely do not need to know what my children are thinking right now. They're like in the, I don't need that. No, fly. I'm going to fly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, let's see. I want to do one more spicy one and then we'll get into the the last one. Um, hold on. Sorry. I lost my page. Oh, this is a good one. Would you rather accidentally send a nude to someone in your family or your boss? Oh, I've been an entrepreneur my whole damn life. Well, that's a luxury. So, <laughs> I I am unfit to work for other humans. Um, uh, I so the thing is, my family would be easy peasy. They're all they'd all be like, "Oh my god, delete that!" But like, they'd all be like, "Whatever, girl. What? Uh, what? What?" They would just face palm and move on. That's fair. That's and. Tough. And I'm assuming that this would be not to a child because the poor things do not need that visual. Oh, God, no, no <laughs> definitely not, an adult. Not, like, not that. Yeah. <laughs> like my great aunt who could just be like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, and then the last one I just love is sunrise or sunset. Oh, I know. okay. I'm going to choose sunset because I got, I got married at sunset and now I get a sunset kiss every day that my anchor partner is around. Like if he, if he's nearby, so sunset's very special. I do love a good sunrise, but mm. I'll take my sunset. Cause I get my kiss too. That is precious. I love that so much. Um, well, this was such a freaking blast. Thank you Yay. for all of your wonderful insights and stories and experiences and sharing. Please let everyone know where they can find and connect with you. Yeah. So like I said earlier, if you're looking for the Jealousy Roadmap or you want to know more about that, you're going to want to go to listen to Jolie.com. If you're curious about whether non-monogamy might be right for you, like you want to know where you are on the spectrum of like, hell yeah, let's go all the way down to like, uh, no, please don't do this right now. You need to 
do some other work on your relationship first, I have a quiz for you. You can go to joliquiz.com, J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com. Take the 10 question quiz and that will invite you into my world because from there you can attend one of my free salons where I talk about the five pillars that you need in place if you want to explore non-monogamy or if you're hitting the rocks and you're struggling with your opening you're going to want to backtrack a little bit and get these five pillars down. You can also follow me on socials. I'm on TikTok and Instagram at um, Dr. D-R Jolie, J-O-L-I underscore Hamilton, like the musical. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure having you on today. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. All right. I hope y'all enjoyed this wonderful episode. Definitely go connect with Jolie. And I would also love if you reviewed and rated the podcast. It really helps other folks find me and also by word of mouth, of course. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it. And you know where to find me at My Naked Minds on all of your social media. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all the things. And you can also email me, my naked mindset podcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And thank you again so much for listening. Okay, love you all. Bye.